47, and you will find this in your pew Bibles on page 1067. 1067. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Thank you, Jill. Let's uh, pray now. For we pray as we always pray that you would speak to us through the Bible, your word. And we pray that we may be obedient listeners for Jesus' sake. Amen. So do keep it open. It's John chapter 4 and verses 27 to 42 and page 1067. On um, 16th and 17th of May 1943, 21 crews from 617 Squadron left RAF Scampton, just north of Lincoln. It's where the Red Arrows are based these days. And they headed for Germany. It was uh, Operation Chastise. And they were on what became known as the Dambusters Raid, led by Wing Commander Guy Gibson. He's in the middle there. He was 24 at the time. And they dropped Barnes Wallace's famous bouncing bombs uh, on three dams, the Myrna, the Adazay, and they damaged the Scorpio Dam as well. But it was costly. 53 of the 133 airmen on that raid died. And as Max Hastings pointed out very clearly in the book about the raid, which he uh, was published earlier this year, 1,600 civilians died because of that raid. About 600 from Germany, but also 1,000 forced laborers, uh, mainly Soviet forced laborers, who were overtaken by the surge of flood water after the dams were breached. Gibson himself 
was killed in September 1944. He was coming back from a raid in Germany in a Mosquito this time, uh, the two-engined little bomber, and uh, he came down over the Netherlands. No official reason has ever been given for the fatal crash that killed Guy Gibson. But it may well have been friendly fire. And today, we remember those who have given their lives in the service of their countries. In the world wars, yes, but in many other armed conflicts too. And some of us will have fought in those. Others of us know people who fought. My dad was in the Royal Engineers in North Africa in the Second World War. I mentioned earlier on about my grandfather. Uh, For me... Well, I was just in the cadets at school in the RAF section. I rose to the dizzying heights of warrant officer. And uh, um, I fired many rifles, Bren guns and things in the Second World War. But I've never known what it's like to have someone firing back. And I've never known what it's like to think that this breath might be my last. But I know people who have experienced those. And today we all remember John Maxwell Edmonds is credited with a famous epitaph in the war cemetery at Kahima. Uh, Kahima's in northern India, and um, that was the battle which halted the Japanese advance on India. And it was extraordinary, the number of, uh, uh, the Jap- number of Japanese casualties. Uh, but in the, the war cemetery there, there's the, a very well-known epitaph which we will use later on in the service. When you go home, tell them of us and say, for your tomorrow, we gave our today. So today we remember. And today uh, we're going to remember people, many who will still suffer through the effects of war. But I'd also uh, like us specifically to remember three things from the Bible. We're thinking about this morning war and life. Oh, look, there are the bomb. There are the, uh, there's the Mona Dam there. War and life. And in particular, uh, three things you'll see in the order of service. The first one is that war requires obedience and life requires obedience. When uh, you're in the services, there will be square bashing. There will be drill. When I was at school, I practiced my drill. My dad trained me how to do uh, an about turn and things like that. Actually, I have to say, I was, probably wasn't bad at it. But, uh, uh, but when you're in the firing line, or when you're, say, in Lancaster taking off on a bombing mission, uh, you need to be disciplined and you need to obey orders. Obedience is really fundamental. And many of our young men in the early 1940s learned about discipline, discipline and obedience, even when they were facing the ultimate sacrifice. Anna, my, my wife's, uh, is my wife, and her mum trained as a physio at Guy's during the uh, early years of the war. And then when she was based at Orpington Hospital, they went down, some of the physios used to go down to RAF Biggin Hill for uh, a weekly dance with some of the pilots. And then quite often when they back the, went back the next week, it wasn't the same pilots, because they'd died during that week, or they'd got injured. Or as often was the case, they were terribly burned uh, through uh, the Battle of Britain and so on. And you see, uh, but they would still go up because war requires obedience. And they served and obeyed their commanding officers as they took off to go and engage with the Luftwaffe and so on. You see, priorities are really important, aren't they? 
There was a young man in the, um, uh, in the US once uh, found a $5 bill on the street. And from that time on, when he was outside, he never lifted his eyes off the ground. And over the years, he collected 29,516 buttons. 54,172 pens, 12 cents a bent back in an unpleasant character. And also, over the years, he lost the glory of the sunlight, the twinkling of the stars, the smiles of friends, the beauty of a rainbow, the tree blossoms of spring, the colors of autumn, the blue skies, and the entire joy of living. You see, priorities matter. And today, we thank God for many, many young men and women who had their priorities right. And in John's Gospel here, it picks up where we were two weeks ago. And uh, Jesus met this Samaritan woman. She had had five husbands who had died or been divorced. Uh, we don't know. Uh, and she's now living with number six. And they get into a conversation about spiritual things. And Jesus is trying to get her to see, to see who he is and how you can receive eternal life. And two weeks ago, we saw that eternal life is all about a person and not a place. It's not about going to Rome or it's not about going to Jerusalem. It's not actually about coming here. Because it's about a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And this passage is partly talking about this God on earth who was obedient to his heavenly father. Um, And uh, at the end of their conversation, Jesus says this in verse 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, that is obedience. That is obedience of our Lord to his heavenly father, doing what the father wants, carrying through that work to the end, finishing the work. And of course, it is a veiled reference to his death, to Jesus' death. And he keeps on referring to his death in John chapter 4. And Jesus, we know, was obedient even to death on a cross. For the salvation of the world. So the world may have life. So the world may have eternal life. And his death would achieve it. Jesus came to do his father's will. And he was obedient to his father's will throughout his life. So obedience is something that's really important in wartime and in the services. Actually, life, your life, your eternal life, depends on Jesus' obedience. Obedience is very significant and very important. I guess it's probably true that an ill-disciplined and disobedient army never won a significant battle. War requires obedience. And life, eternal life, your eternal life and mine, requires obedience to the obedience of the Son of God to take through his mission to the end. Second, War requires sacrifice. And life, eternal life, requires sacrifice. During the Second World War, who would you say was a saviour of the world? Well, English people, I suppose, British people would say, well, of course, it would have been um, Winston Churchill. 
Or if you're an American, you may say, well, maybe it was FDR, uh, Roosevelt, the 32nd president of the United States. He was president for a long time, from 33 to 45. And I think it's quite sad that he died of a brain hemorrhage uh, in, eight, uh, in May, no, in April 1945, 12th of April 1945, just before the end uh, of the Second World War. Uh, or maybe we might say, oh, it was Montgomery there in, in the Battle of El Alamein in northern Africa and so on. Or you could say the countless thousands of mainly young men who gave their lives so that we could be free to grow up without a world war. Men like these guys on D-Day. Look at that guy in the bottom left-hand corner. Look at his face. Now, we could rightly say, couldn't we, that they gave their lives. In one sense, they are saviours. As they stormed up Omaha Beach and Juno and Gold and whatever the other one that's now just gone out of my mind. Uh, we could rightly say there are saviours. Or people who uh, uh, would be perhaps more specific for a moment, like this guy. Do you know him? He's Colonel H. Jones. Even his wife called him H. And on the May 29th, 1982, two para were involved in the Falklands conflict and the battle for Goose Green. And they were pinned down by a machine gun emplacement and Colonel H. Jones led an assault on that. And they overpowered the uh, machine gun emplacement and in the middle of that, he lost his life. And he was awarded posthumously the Victoria Cross. And then 12 bloody hours later, two para, his 450 men had triumphed taking 1,200 Argentinians prisoner. But what a cost. Well, who's the saviour of the world? I suppose the folk, people of the Falklands could say, perhaps in some ways, that H. Jones uh, was their saviour. And for some, war does require sacrifice. And so does life. So does our life. So does eternal life require sacrifice. So you look at the end of verse two, uh, 42, and, talk, and uh, the woman there said, we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Or they said to the woman, uh, the, the guys from, uh, from the town, we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Because many Samaritans are now believing because of the woman's testimony. And uh, many more believe, as Jesus speaks to them, that he is the saviour of the world. That is quite a title. There is only one saviour of the world. And it is our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's quite a title. But actually, that is a phrase that's used of Jesus only twice in the Bible. It's recorded here in John's Gospel. And it's also in 1 John, the first letter that he wrote later on in the New Testament. The saviour of the world. Sometimes Greek deities were called the saviour of the world. So uh, Zeus, apparently, was called the saviour of the world. So was Asclepius and Serapis. And the Roman Emperor Hadrian of Wall fame uh, was uh, called the saviour of the world. And John is here saying, actually, the saviour of the world is not any of those. The saviour of the world is a carpenter's son from Nazareth. You got nailed to a cross. And he is the saviour of the world because he came and he made the ultimate sacrifice when he willingly sacrificed himself for us so that we might have eternal life. War requires sacrifice sometimes. Today, 
we remember that sacrifice. I don't know if you watched the, uh, um, the uh, remembrance service from the Albert Hall last night, but I thought it was very uh, moving when they had those, the relatives of those who've given their lives led out by a young lad who's just trained for the paras and uh, his brother gave his life in the service of his country and he led out that group with his mum and dad behind him. That was very moving. War sometimes requires sacrifice and life, eternal life. Not sometimes, but it did once and for all as Jesus gave his life for us and made that ultimate sacrifice for us. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has made that sacrifice for us. War and life. War and life. They both require obedience. They both require sacrifice. And third, war is urgent and life is urgent. When, um, when Neville Chamberlain, the British Prime Minister, announced at uh, 11.15 on the 3rd of September 1939 that this country is at war with Germany, that was urgent, wasn't it? That was very urgent. It was an announcement that could not wait. It was, it wasn't, he was not, he wasn't saying, well, let's just wait and see. The thing was, Germany had invaded Poland and therefore we needed to act. We had given them an ultimatum. It was not something that would wait. And I don't know if you've uh, seen the, the film, the Battle of Britain film. And uh, you see the pilots lounging around, waiting to be scrambled. There's a lot of waiting in the services. They say that if you're in the services, you learn how to wait well. And in the Battle of Britain film, they're lounging around on their deck chairs, enjoying the August, September uh, sunshine and so on, until they're scrambled. And then they jump into action. Then it's really urgent, isn't it? They run their planes or they jump in if they're at dispersal around the airfields. And then they've got to take off quickly before, say, the bombers come in and take out the airfield. And they've got to get up high. They've got to get the altitude above the incoming bombers because you're much an advantage if you're higher than the other guys. And uh, that is urgent. War is urgent. Yes, long periods of waiting and then extremely urgent activity. Imagine you're in a dogfight and they're still trained for dogfights in the fast jets in the Royal Air Force now. Imagine you're in a dogfight and it's the reflexes you need for the controlling of your aeroplane and so on. It is urgent. It's urgent if you're... We talked about the Battle of Kahima earlier on. And a lot of that was hand-to-hand fighting. And if someone is coming at you with a fixed bayonet and yours is fixed too, that is very urgent, isn't it? You don't get much more urgent than that when a guy is about four feet in front of you and he's lunging at you with a bayonet. That is very, very urgent. But it's not just wars that are urgent. Here, Jesus says life, eternal life, is urgent too. Look at verse 35, that little paragraph there. Well, let's go for verse 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. 
I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. It's a farming analogy. Normally what happens, or what happened in Jesus' day, was you'd sow the seed, four months later you'd have the harvest. And it worked year on year on year. That's the way it happens. And Jesus is saying, spiritually, the sowing and the harvesting in me have come together. They're at the same time. The fields are ripe for harvest, Jesus says in verse 35. You know, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. The sowing's been done by me, by preaching and teaching, says Jesus, and the fields are ripe already for the spiritual harvest. And Jesus says, you think there's a gap between the two? Actually, no, they're together. I've just sown the seed and the harvest is already happening. And the crop is people. The crop is believers, and Jesus wants people to believe. That's a big thing in John's Gospel, isn't it? We saw two weeks ago. It's about believing. People need to believe. Not just come to church Sunday by Sunday. Do you actively believe? Do you consciously believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? So you look at the beginning of verse 39. Many of the Samaritans in that town believed in him. Look at verse 41. And because of his words, many more became believers. Beginning of verse 42, they said to women, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. That's why John's gospel has been written. That's why we're reading it and studying it and preaching on it now, today, last week, two weeks ago, and next week and so on, so that people may believe, that people may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died for our sins, and that Jesus can give us eternal life, and he will when we believe. So are you a believer? Do you believe in Jesus? Are you personally committed to Jesus? You could do that today if you're not. You can say to him in your own words, thank you for your sacrifice, your death for me. I believe you're the son of God. Please come and be my God today, my saviour today. On the way down to the Falklands, the chaplains on board the Canberra had to ask for more Bibles to be sent out because they'd run out. Because the troops on the Canberra knew that they might die. And some tragically, like H. Jones, did die. And similarly, eternal life is an urgent matter. So please don't put this off. One day it will be too late. So this morning, war and life. War requires obedience. War requires obedience and life, eternal life. Our eternal life requires obedience from our Lord Jesus to go through and to die for us. War and life, eternal life, our eternal life requires sacrifice. And our Lord Jesus Christ has made that sacrifice for us. And war 
and life, eternal life, our eternal life, are urgent, very, very urgent. If you want to pray with someone about what you've heard this morning, we have a prayer ministry team at the front at the end of the service, and do go and see them and pray with them or see me at the end of the service. Let's pray together now. Father, thank you that we have seen from your words and in Jesus' interaction with this woman, the well, and then what happened after that, that uh, obedience, sacrifice, and urgency uh, are there and significantly important for our eternal life. We've seen that those things are really important in war, but actually they're really important for us today. So, Lord, please, uh, would you help us to act on what we've heard this morning? For Jesus' sake. Amen.